Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Take me through the the shot in in 89. Uh, Elo's playing out of his mind late. Um, yeah. And what are your memories from those final couple minutes of that game? Yeah, it was a really hard-fought game. Uh, you know, uh, both teams, we've gone back and forth in the series, man. It was a great series. And I remember, you know, we're coming out of the timeout. We're trying to figure out the best way to push the offense as far off the floor or out on the floor as we possibly could. And we did that. You know, Lenny Wilkins had a great defensive scheme. And you're going to have Craig. Craig is a really good defender. Moved his feet very well. And, uh, you know, they got the ball inbounds. I never remember the guy. We had this one fan, Ed, who was a loud mouth guy, yelled the whole game. He's standing there, and he's got, like, pink pants on and a, some ridiculous shirt. And the ball is being taken out right beside him, and I can still hear him. He had this really loud voice, and the place was going nuts, but I could still hear him chirping as they're taking the ball out of bounds. And I'm standing near the, the basket. I'm probably, you know, three feet up the lane. Bill Cartwright's behind me. I'm not really – they're not going to throw the ball to him, so I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about it being a Hail Mary shot. In my mind, I was thinking hopefully Craig would maybe get his hand on it. And I was, I was thinking that it wouldn't make it to the basket if, it, if, if someone, which we knew it was going to be Michael, was going to get a shot off. And I wanted to make sure I was kind of a midfielder that could catch that ball that didn't quite make it to the basket so nobody could tip it. You know, I know it's crazy, but – so I figured if he shot the ball, it's going to come off the backboard so hard anyway. I need to be midfield instead of being on baseline with Cartwright. So I'm watching the ball come in. You know, Michael's got it, dribbles, and you see him elevate. And I see Craig kind of running towards him. And I'm fine. You're fine with that shot. That's a, that's a, and, you know, yeah, I'll take that 10 out of 10 times. And I'm standing there, I watch the shot, and I'm looking at the ball. And I'm watching it, I'm watching it, and I, it just it pops the bottom of the net. And it just, that was it. Game over. Series over. So uh, he made that. And then he made, you know, there was another shot he made against us, which was backbreaking. But just to make that shot under those circumstances was remarkable. He made another one with Larry Nance, same thing, kind of just right there. And, uh, you know, it's just, you're, you're done. Uh, we did everything we could do to stop him. And to make that kind of shot under those circumstances, this is what puts him in that rarefied air of being, you know, arguably the greatest to ever play. A lot of guys would not make that shot. Um, and he wanted to make it. He wanted the shot, and he got it. And then we got to watch him do it time and time again. 
uh, to seal his, his, his legacy, no doubt about it. Do you remember certain scenes from the locker room after that? I remember sitting there, and I remember it was an interview, guys. I just like I just I said I don't know what what you can do. We did everything we can do. <laughs> uh, I remember how quiet it was, and and because we had gotten so much better, and how gut wrenching it was that moment because it was like there was nothing else you could do. You know, worst case scenario. You know, you make them throw the ball all the way down to the other end of the floor, but you can't do that because you only got five guys. And so the he made a shot in the most improbable under the most improbable circumstances. So you kind of live with that, but it still hurts because you know we wanted to get Cleveland to the finals, try to win a championship. That was our goal. And uh, you know, and then after that, it's just like he kept coming back year after year. You know, we would get better and get to the either the Eastern Conference Finals or semifinals, and uh, he would just, us and a lot of people, but just made it miserable for us. Was it ever an option for you, Brad, then to join the Bulls? These days, if when teams can't get over the hump, I mean, that your team back then was, you know, would be an exception these days. You know, losing yeah. to the Bulls over and over again, and then guys team up together in order to achieve that ultimate goal. Was it an, ever an option for you to go somewhere else, Mark Price to go somewhere else, was everyone, anyone ever close to leaving? Did you ever consider no trying way. to join the Bulls? No, 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 absolutely not. I wanted to beat him. I wanted to beat them. I wanted to beat, you know, the Bulls. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was one summer, and he may not remember us. We were talking. We were Chapel Hill playing basketball, and he's like, man. He's like, so, and, you know, back then we were making, not making what these guys make today, and, and uh, I was making a lot, and it was great, I thought. And he told me, he said, man, you're not making enough. I said, what do you mean? He's like, you carry that team. He's like, you, you, you need to make more. He says, your contract's up in, what, another year? I said, yeah. He says, you know, you need to hold their feet to the fire. And uh, then he, I remember he said, you know, if they won't pay you, he said, I bet you we pay you. And I was like, there ain't no way. I said, we're going to kick your ass. I said, I don't care if they pay me peanuts. And he just started laughing. Huh. And uh, but no, that was the only comment. But there's no way I wouldn't go play with Michael Jordan. I wasn't going to play with, you know, Isaiah Thomas. I'm not going to play with Patrick Ewing. I didn't, you know, that wasn't going to happen for me. The and and Charles Barkley and I talk about this. The super team that that would have been great is when I was drafted. If I'd have went to Philly, okay. There was Moses was there, Charles was there, and I think Doc is at the end of his career. That would have been the team. That that would have been a hell of a team because mm -hmm. you. I see. I made the All Star team my in '88, and Mike Patello, I think, was the coach. Uh, my mind's getting bad, and so we were playing in practice that day. We were scrimmaging, and he put me, Moses, and Charles on the same team, and uh, against the other team, and we man, we killed. The, the, the other squad. And so in the game, he started me, Moses, and Charles second half. And they had, let's see, it was Elijah Wan, I think Kareem, I can't, I can't remember who else, James Worthy. Man, we absolutely kicked their ass. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I remember Charles after the game, because I, I played Moses, I could play some four, because I could shoot it a little bit. And I, I passed the ball really well. Mm -hmm. So I could play four. And then you could post Moses and I up. Moses could come to the, the, the top of it. He loved to come 
to the free throw line against big guys and face them up. So then I could rotate to the, the block and post up. And so you need to ask Charles. By every time I see Charles, I played in a little golf event with Charles uh, a while back, which I waxed him, by the way. He's horrible. Um, <laughs> hey, why does he even do that to himself? It's just brutal. I, I don't know. It's, it's some type of uh, – some kind of – I don't know. It's, it's self – I don't know. I don't know why he plays golf. But anyway, it's awful. It's just absolutely awful. He, uh, we're talking. He's like, you know, and he always blames me. It's my fault. He's like, you know, you cost me three rings. I'm like, how, how do you, how did all this happen? Is this, you know, how do you get this to being my fault? He's like, is that damn idiot Harold Katz didn't like you? I was like, well, <laughs> I, I think it's Harold Katz's fault. It's not my fault. And, uh, but man, I'm, I, if we'd had that opportunity, because, uh, you know, Johnny Dawkins was there, I mean, it, it would have been, I don't know. I, I think it would have been a different story. I really do. Because uh, they'd been, man, we'd have been a hell of a rebounding basketball team. Uh, they'd have had the double team, both Moses and I, and then you had Charles, and I don't know. It would have been fun. But it didn't happen. And so I ended up uh, having to go after Michael myself a little bit with some guys, and boy, it was. Uh, it was it was difficult uh, difficult task, but man, I enjoyed every minute of it. As a high school player in the the San Antonio area, um, Shaquille O'Neal has talked about at that time that you were a better high school player than he was. He's brought you up, and he he said names like it, there was a quote I read. He said names like Tony Terrell, Calvin yeah. Thomas, Askia Jones, yeah. Bo Outlaw. He said those guys were all better than I was in high school. So. That leads me to believe, A, that you're a pretty good high school player, um, and B, that you must have some some recollections of Shaq from high school. Most definitely have recollections. The, the names he named were pretty good names. Me and Calvin played together in high school, so that lets you know our team was not bad. <laughs> we were on the same team. Skeet Jones was in our conference. Tony Terrell was the team you had to beat to get to state. He was a year ahead of us. When I tell you he stepped across half court and he was open, he was open. Like, it was unbelievable. That team pressed the whole game. They averaged like 110 points in high school. That's unheard of. They averaged that many points. So, they, we, my junior year, we lost to them to go to state. My senior year, we beat them. And don't let Shaq fool you. His team was, he was, he was Mr. Big Side. I think he got there his 10th grade year, maybe. And he walked in the gym and summerly, y'all was like, what the heck? Who is that? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. My junior, my sophomore going to junior year, I was 6'3". <laughs> so from my junior to senior year, I grew from my junior to senior year, I grew from 6'3 to 6'6". So as a junior, I'm 6'3", athletic kid, and this dude comes in the gym at 6'9", 6'10". I'm like, what the heck? He's a giant. And, uh, he was he. We played AAU together. I don't know if they told you that. So the kids, the guys he named, we all played AAU on the same AAU team except Tony Terrell. There was another kid named Robert Kino who who was in our grade that went to the school with Tony who played with us. So Ski Jones, Calvin Thomas, Shaquille O'Neal, myself, we were all on that same AAU team, and three out of those four guys played in the pros. If you know Ski Jones, he holds the scoring title at Kansas State to this day, I believe, for most points in the game. Oh, that lets you know we had pretty good basketball in a state that was known for football. 
Yeah, I'd say. What, what was it? What was it like traveling around with with Shaq at that age? Man, what you see right now is what he did back then. D, he was DJing, and we didn't even have DJ sets, so he had DJ with his mouth just, like, you know, just be in the in the air <laughs> DJing. We would be beatboxing and laughing and wrestling and playing, and our AU trips were great. Like we had so much fun and. It, it, we didn't travel like we we stayed in motels. So you go outside, you know, you was on the on the balcony looking outside mm-hmm. at the next floor. Say, hey man, what y'all doing? We're getting pizza. So you know, we were doing stuff like that. We were not at the pool a lot, but we were just from room to room, just talking, playing, and going to the gym trying to win basketball games. And uh, it was a great time. I think our our senior year, probably our last tournament was at home was our best tournament. We ended up winning that whole tournament, and it was it was pretty good. What 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 was the the nastiest thing you saw Shaq do to another kid on the court, like at, at that age? I mean, we we've seen some what filthy he, stuff. What, he, what, what, he, at that uh, age. what he did in high school, what you saw in college in the pros, that's what he did in high school. It was it was it was magnified because in the pros in college you got other big guys. In high school, it's not that many big guys on every team, so they think they're big until Shaq walks in the gym. Like, yeah, he's pretty. Big. <laughs> He was just a bully. I think most of his fouls he got were probably like running people over. It wasn't really just a foul. It was like an offensive foul because he just was he was just ginormous. So it was yeah, that was that was I I don't I don't know what he's talking about that we were better than him. Uh I don't know. He was pretty good. Skeet Jones might have probably been the best in the city, but Shaq was it was them two right there for head and shoulders. They were good. Shaq's also known for some legendary pranks. You're talking about his, his DJ skills and his hoop skills. I, there are some legendary stories about what he's done in the NBA. You got any Shaq stories about what he did later in life and also what he might have pulled off prank-wise in high school? I don't know if I want to tell him prank. His mom might be listening. I might get in trouble. I don't know. because Don't mom, worry. Nah, she's, not she's, not she's not listening. She's not My listening. My mom's not I'll make even sure. listening. I'll make sure she doesn't download this episode. No, I'm just, like, we, we, were, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were blue teenagers. We had a lot of fun, but at the same time, we tried our best not to do. We would we would get right to the edge, to where we know we're gonna get our butt whooped. Not not talk. We were getting whoopings back then, so we got whooped. <laughs> we were we go right to the edge. And like how we were not bad kids. We were just real active kids. Does that make sense? You name it. We were up all night running from knocking on door to door putting all the trash in front of somebody's door, knock on the door, you name it, we did it. And it was, uh, we have the all the beds on the floor, like all the mattresses all around the wall. Like it was, <laughs> we'd be wrestling in the room. Imagine him 6'9", me 6'6", six, six, Calvin 6'6", six, six, Keith Jones 6'7", all of us in there wrestling. And we some big dudes, so we were just, man, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how we didn't tie those rooms up. I just, now I think about it, I'm surprised, like no TVs or nothing were broke. We just, I don't know. We just, yeah, we had a lot of fun. The Gucci Mane song, Hold That Thought, mentions you, Bo. How do you know this? So, look, again, we do our homework here on on the Catch Issue podcast. So, uh, the line, by the way, Noah, I'm sure you can recite it by heart, but it's catch me on the rebound like Bo Outlaw. I'm a Mikey Vickett, whip it, cook it, southpaw. Um, Bo, first time that you heard that you were in, in a rap song, your reaction? I was like, you're lying, because I had no clue. Dude. Someone played played it for me. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And uh, 
It's re- it's really cool. I saw Gucci Mane probably last year, and I told him about that. He said, "Yeah, man." I said, "You know me?" He's like, "Man, I rapped." I said, "Okay, my bad." You know, you don't. I'm not that guy, man. So I don't ever put myself as that guy. I just be like, "Okay, I'm okay." I live with myself every day, so I don't. And my my attitude don't does not allow me to walk around like I'm better than the person next to me. Now, am I confident? Yes. Am I cocky? No. You know, and there's a fine line of being confident and cocky. I'm going to walk in the gym. I'm going to give everybody respect, and I'm going to try to beat you. But I don't think everyone knows me either. You know what I mean? So if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I'm not – I don't – I just – I don't know. I was very I was very impressed that he put me in that song. And I'm – like, when guys know me, I, I, I surprise me. I'm like, you know me? Like, yeah, like, my bad. Yeah, they, had, they had – yeah, they had another one of your former – they had Spud Webb in that one. Um, he was a teammate of yeah. yours. Vince was in that one. Rip Hamilton was in that one. Yeah, and that's all. Like those, but those guys use his name are pretty good. One of them still playing. Spud Webb won a dunk competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spud won a dunk competition. Vince is still playing. And who? Rip Hamilton. Yeah. How many championships he got? Thank you. And how do I fit in that exactly? <laughs> that was dope. <laughs> I've read that you have a, a great story about Rondo's recruitment to oh, Kentucky yeah. by Tubby Smith. It involves several guys. Um, when he got here in the fall, of course, like I said, he wasn't rated that highly. He had two offers in November. He was offered by Clemson and NC Charlotte. Wow. That's it. Clemson and NC Charlotte. So uh, he didn't want to go to either one. I mean, that. I'm talking visits. He was only offered those two visits, and they both offered him a scholarship, obviously. So he comes in my office and says, Coach, I'm not going to sign early. I go, that's fine. I said, you shouldn't sign early because I know how good you are, and you're going to blow up. And you're going to get – I can't tell you who's going to recruit you, but you're going to have several offers, trust me. So he waits. And it's still a little slow. You know, it's end of December. And um, he comes in and sits down, and he says um, – He's very much a home guy. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, Coach, I want to go to school nowhere, no more than three or four hours from home. I said, well, where would you go? So he gives me a list of Illinois, Indiana, Cincinnati, Kentucky. Louisville was recruiting him, but they took um, – Telfair. They took Telfair, and Patino still – he did have that offer, but John had enough of an ego that he's like, I'm not – I'm second fiddle, and I'm from Louisville, and he knew I was going to go there, and he took Telfair, I'm not going. And Tino wanted to take them both, and, but he said no. So they're out. So that leaves Kentucky, Cincinnati, Indiana, Illinois. But he told me I'll go to any of those four schools that they offer me, any of them. Well, I don't pick up the phone and call coaches in this recruiting deal. I mean, when you do that, they usually think your guy can't play or he's got a problem, <laughs> you know. Um, I told Rajon, that's not how it works. But I said, for you, Rajon, I know all these coaches, so I'll call them. So I call. I, I don't remember who I called first, but I do remember calling Mike Davis in Indiana. I do remember calling Hugs in Cincinnati, uh, Tubby, and uh, who's the other one? Oh, Illinois was um, Weber. So Weber, the, Illinois is interested. So they set up a visit. The others don't want to bring him in. For whatever reason, they're like a couple of them said he wasn't good enough. A couple of them said he can't shoot, whatever. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, he can play. He goes 
he's, I think he visited Illinois. He was supposed to be around. He was doing our Christmas break. I'm trying to remember if he did or he didn't. I'm pretty sure he went there. And they, I think they really thought they were going to get him. Uh, he comes to me like when the second semester starts in January. He says, Coach, I would die to go to Kentucky. I said, well, Rajon, they're not going to recruit you. I called them. I think I called them in November and December. I said, I've called them twice. I don't think they're going to recruit you. So I said, but I'll, I'll call one more time. So I called Scott Rajot, the assistant at the time. I want to tell his assistant. I said, Scott, this kid is really, really, really good. He's vastly improved from whenever you tubby saw him last. And I'm telling you, he's better than anybody you got. And, uh, of course, they didn't believe me, but Scott Scott agreed. He goes, I really like him. He goes, he goes, uh, let me talk to Tubby. So he gets Tubby to call me. I talk to Tubby, and Tubby doesn't agree with me, but he tells he does say this. He goes, all right, we play Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, I think it was a Tuesday night. Tuesday night, and we're two hours and a half from Knoxville. And I said, I will practice in the afternoon. I'll bring him the game. How's that? He goes, all right, you bring him the game. He goes, if we win. I'll come to your practice on Wednesday. If you don't win, he goes, I'm not I'm not going to be there because i got to work with my team. I understand, blah, blah, blah. So we go to the game. They win the game by two points. And uh, so the next day we're practicing. About 45 minutes into practice, Tubby walks in. He's hmm. late. He, so I just keep coaching the team. I don't walk over and say anything to him. For, so I'm in practice for like probably 30 minutes. We take a water break. I walk over there. And I said, Coach, how are you? Welcome to campus, blah, blah, blah. He'd been here a hundred times, but, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. And he, he takes me to the side and he goes, Coach, I didn't know he was that good. <laughs> <laughs> I told you how good he was. I said, I told you he's – trust me, you're not going to get anybody better than he is. And uh, so he ends up visiting like that weekend, and he commits right away. And, I mean, if I don't call him, if they don't win that game in Knoxville, he don't go. He's not. A, he's not a Kentucky. Uh, he probably ends up in Illinois or somewhere. But that's how he got to Kentucky, and uh, they got him. You know how they re- you recruit a kid for you recruit a kid like Ray John Rondo for a year and not get him. Sometimes they made one visit, probably called his family once, and he committed. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, that's only how recruiting works sometimes. Yeah, I'd say. Do the most successful teams need one voice or can you win a title and be the most successful if you have a whole bunch of voices? I'm not going to say one team needs uh, one person because the Warriors, we didn't have one person. We had one person who was always loud and it was competitive. Everybody knew who that is. <laughs> yeah. Because Steph's not really going to – when Steph talk, everybody listen, but Steph's not really going to be the person who's talking like that. You know what I mean? See, Andre Godala is like one was one of the leaders on the team everybody was listening to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But Clay not gonna really say anything. Nobody, the mother guy's not really gonna say anything. But we kind of like coach. We we rather have like a teammate getting on anything. A coach kind of. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We had yeah. guys who did that. We hold each other accountable. Yeah, which you need, and and with Draymond, yeah, everybody knows. I mean, at some point, everyone's gonna come to blow or at least come close to blows with Draymond. And, and it seems to be that that's just accepted that season. Did you, when, when you were down three, one to OKC, did you know throughout the year that Draymond was recruiting KD? No, no, no idea. They say he was, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. That, and that, yeah, that he was that he was texting them all season. Hey, man, we need you. We need you. And then that was that's the famous now famous text that Draymond sent to KD after losing to the Cavs in the locker room, saying, "Hey, we need you." Yeah, I didn't know. No, I heard about that. I heard about it just off uh, social media, but I didn't know that. It's kind of just a rumor, but it was real. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty well documented. Yeah. Yeah. He's And he's mentioned, he said, Draymond said him? that he's done. Yeah. He said, we, yeah, we need you. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think it is. I think it is crazy. Mode. What the... happened? It, it happens. It happens. It happens a lot. No, I don't know about that test. You know, the people saying people need you and all that. I never really, I never really seen that before. Because with the Warriors, is, every time we go on the road, yeah. we, or after a game, we're always eating together. So that's why we got so close. That's why we was like a brotherhood. Because outside of basketball, we definitely gonna see somebody Draymond having a barbecue at his house. You are gonna see seven to eight people over there. Mm-hmm. They've got an event or something. You're going to see seven, eight people over there. It's like, kind of like college, how those guys run it. Recently, you, you just caught up with um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you guys um, spoke together, um, and, um, and you did sort of a Q&A with, with Giannis. Um, what are some of your, your favorite stories of, of athletes you've gotten to meet and guys that you've gotten a chance to, uh, to help out with the platform? Yeah, man, that's a really good question. Um, I, you mentioned Giannis, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with him. One of my favorite quote unquote NBA Twitter stories is a few, a few years back, I think in 2017, Kobe, Kobe in true Kobe fashion started issuing Twitter challenges, right? To players. And one of the challenges that he issued was to Giannis. He's like, yo, I want you to be the league MVP. Um, and as you can imagine, when when Mamba issues a challenge like that to the world, to you in front of the world, that, that, could, be, that could be a bit intimidating. So I asked Giannis about it. I was like, yo, you were chilling, man. Like, you were minding your own business. And then here comes Kobe tweeting at you saying I need you to win the league MVP I said what was your response and he said my response was oh shit because mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he knew it was real like at that point he's like okay like I just got challenged by Kobe to the world like I gotta put the work in and here we are uh, in 2019 and, and that dude hoisted uh, the, the, the MVP trophy man it's one of my my, my favorite stories and um and, and one that like tells just such a great picture and, and it shows like the type of guy that, that, that the Giannis, the Giannis is. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.